great to be with you all and be able to worship God on this beautiful spring day where we're seeing his creation come to life and the beauty of all the things that he's designed. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to be together and worship him together on the Lord's Day this morning. Many times we hear something over and over again and we don't stop to really think about what that saying means. Have you ever had your kids stop you and ask you about some common phrase that maybe you say often in the family and they ask, well, what does that mean? Why do we say it like that? And when you stop to explain an expression or stop to think about an expression, it takes on much more meaning and becomes more meaningful when you think about what a common expression means. I'll tell you that may be the case with the familiar statement that Mark just read for us in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This morning, I want to look at this passage. I want to dissect it and look at what Jesus is telling us and the important lessons for us that Jesus conveys in this short verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Get your Bibles out. We're going to be turning to other passages as we investigate this. I'll keep this verse on the screen the whole lesson this morning. And let's look at the, the instruction here, the lessons that Jesus teaches us here in this important verse. The first one is Jesus tells us, it talks about coming to the Father. Coming to the Father means that we don't start out with the Father, does it? doesn't it? It means that we're apart from God, and we've got to come to Him. You don't come home if you're already home. Imagine a mother working on dinner and yelling at everyone, come to the table, it's time to eat, but the family's already at the table waiting on dinner to get finished. It wouldn't make any sense, would it, for the, the mother to call everyone to the table when everyone's already there. We'd think that she's lost it. And so it is with us. We need to come to God because we're apart from God. We're separated from God. Why are we separated from God? We're separated with God because sin has separated us. Sin has separated us from God, and now we need to come to Him. Look at your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, we looked at this passage a couple weeks ago, but it is so important. For us to understand what caused us to be separated from God. And it wasn't God's doing, it was our doing. And Isaiah chapter 59, beginning of verse 1. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. We sinned. And our sins caused us to be separated from God. And now we're apart from Him. And we need to come to Him. We need to be with God. We need to be in a right relationship with Him. We need that relationship restored. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 8. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 8, talks about the need for this relationship to be restored. And how God has made it possible. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the, the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies of God. 
We were separated from God. Again, this wasn't God's choice. This wasn't God's doing. It was our doing. God told us what to do, and we didn't do it. God told us what not to do, and we did it. We sinned, and that drove separation between us and God. We were God's enemies. We're separated from Him. But we so desperately need to be with God. We need to come to God. We want to be with Him. We need to be with Him. Many live their lives, though, today as if they don't need God. Many are living their lives doing what they want to do, seeking their own will and doing it, and they're never satisfied. They're doing what they think will make them happy, and yet they're never truly happy. Solomon tried all of this. Turning your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon tried a life without God, a life that had no regard for God. Solomon tried doing what he wanted to do, what would make him happy. And at the end of that experiment, he said, it's all vanity, it's all futility, it won't work. Doing what I want to do, being living a life separated from God and apart from God that has no regard for his will for me and no regard for his desires for how I live my life will cause us to live a life that is complete vanity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens of, and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which I, to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired Baal and females Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed it all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. There is no more remembrance of the wise than the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor which I toiled and in which I have sown myself under the sun, uh, shown myself under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired 
of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a wise man whose labor is with wisdom, yet knowledge and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. For what has a man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This is also vanity. Solomon said, I just sought whatever I wanted to do. Whatever I desired, I went after it. If I saw it, I thought it'd be fun, it would be good, I did it. And at the end of that, Solomon said, it's all worthless. And so is our life apart from God. If we do not realize our need for God, if we seek to just gratify our own desires, our own will, we'll be just like Solomon. We need to understand that we need to come to the Father. Many people live their lives apart from God. And their lives suffer as a result of that because they don't come to the Father. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 15 says, The way of the unfaithful or the way of the transgressor is hard. People mess up their lives by going after their will and their desire. By failing to realize that they need to come to the Father. Failing to realize that they're separated by, God, by their sins from God. And we need to come to God. We need to come to God. Jesus says that we need to come to Him. And He says furthermore that no one can come to the Father but by Him. That means that if no one can come, then all need to come, don't they? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 goes on to tell us the problem with all of us sinning, and that is the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned, we all deserve death, and there's no getting around these two facts. Therefore, we all need to come to the Father. We're all in this same boat. We've all committed sin, the wages of those sins is death, and we cannot save ourselves. You can't be good enough to save yourself. Maybe I'll be okay. I don't kick the cat. I'm a pretty good guy. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. I try not to tell lies. I try to be a good worker. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Maybe I'll be okay. No. Jesus says that's not enough. You can't do enough nice things for other people in order to be saved. You know, some people, I think, think, well, if I can get enough checks in the good column, that'll outweigh the checks in the bad column. As long as I do a lot of good things for other people, maybe if I attend enough church services, maybe then I'll be okay and everything will be all right. No, that's not going to be enough. Romans chapter 5 again. Romans chapter 5. We looked at verses 8 through 10. Let's start in verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in, Christ, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We were without strength. We couldn't save ourselves. Verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can't save ourselves. We have to get to the Father, but we can't get there ourselves. We can't save ourselves. In Titus chapter 3, 
verse 5. Notice how Paul puts it in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Saying that it wasn't anything that we did that would cause us to be saved. We couldn't be saved of ourselves. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. God saved us by His mercy towards us. Not by works of righteousness that we did to earn this. We couldn't save ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we cannot save ourselves. And that gets us then to the next thing that Jesus said. Jesus says that He is the way. He is the way to the Father. He is the answer to the problem that we have of being separated from God by sin. All of us separated from God by sin. All of us needing to come to the Father, but we can't by ourselves. But Jesus is the way, and this is great news. But I want to tell you something about Jesus saying that it, He is the way. That indicates that there's action required on our part, doesn't it? There's action required. Imagine that you wanted to get somewhere. You needed to get somewhere and you didn't know. And you asked someone, how do I get to where I want to be? And they say, well, here, here's the directions. Here's how you get there. You need to go here. You need to turn there. You need to go this way. Here's the way. And you responded by saying, thanks. Now I'm there. No. Just because you know the way doesn't get you there. You've got to respond. And yet many in the religious world today are saying there's nothing we need to do in order to get to the Father. That Jesus is the way and boom, you're there. No, there's action required on our part. This verse and many others teach us the opposite, that there's action required. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 5, beginning verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 5. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is the way. The way requires action on our part. We have to obey. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, But why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. He's the way. That means we must obey Him. We must follow Him. Imagine you were traveling. You're traveling and you land at a big airport. A big, big mess of an airport. And you've never been there before. And you got a problem because you want to get out of that airport and get to where you, why you traveled in the first place, but you got your, they got your bags hostage. You checked your bags when you left. They got your bags hostage. You got to get to baggage claim to get your bags. But this is a big, nasty airport. How are you going to get to baggage claim? You've never been there before. You've never been there before. You don't know how to get there. You know your bags are waiting for you there, but you want to get to your bags. Well, there's signs, fortunately, in an airport. And it says, baggage claim with an arrow pointing in the direction you need to go. 
Can you imagine the foolishness of seeing that sign and just standing there and say, well, there's the way. I'm good. I'm going to be reunited with my bags. No. You got to follow the way to your bags. We got to follow the way to our Father. Jesus is the way, but you got to follow. Just because He's the way doesn't mean that you're there. You got to follow. And notice also the singularity in Jesus' statement. Jesus is, uses a clarifier on this idea. He says He is the way, singular. You don't get to choose the way to the Father. You don't get to go your way or any way. You have to go the way. Jesus is the way. There's only one way. And yet how many people have told you in the religious world when you talk to them about differences that we might have? How many people have told you we're all on different roads leading to the same place? We're all on different roads leading to heaven. You go your way, I'll go my way, and we'll all get there and we'll be happy when we get there. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus says, I am the way. Singular. Only one way. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus addresses this idea of us all being on different roads leading to the same place. And he says, you can't do it. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? They were trying to serve Jesus. They said they've been doing things in his name. But he said they weren't on the way. Look at verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says, I'm the way. And you weren't following the way. And if you don't follow the way, you won't get to the Father. Jesus says we have to follow the way. Back to the airport. Imagine you're in this big unknown airport. You see the signs that say baggage claim this way. It's very clear. Everyone can understand baggage claim this way. Baggage claim is to the right, and you turn left. You're walking along, and there you see the signs of baggage claim to the right, and you turn left, and your wife says to you, Honey, baggage claim is this way. And you say, Oh, it's not that big a deal. I think this hallway is going to lead that way too. I'm pretty sincere about this. I'm, I really want to get to my bags. I think this is going to work. We're going to go left instead of right. It's all going to work out. Don't get so legalistic on me, dear. Don't tell me there's only one way i got to do this. I'm going to go my way and it's going to be fine. Foolishness. And so it is in the religious world today as well. The good news is that we need to get to the Father. We all need to get to Him. And the good news is that Jesus is the way, but that's singular. And we need to be responding. Furthermore, Jesus says in this passage that He is the truth. And this is good news for us because we can conclude from this that truth exists. Jesus says He is the truth. Many in the world today, sadly many in the religious world today, have the idea that there's no way to know truth. There's really no way to know what you're supposed to do. What does God want from me? What does God want me to do? Well, I don't know. It's too hard. 
I'm not sure. There's no way that we can know what God wants from us, many would say. The truth is obfuscated. It's difficult. It's murky. You're not going to be really able to tell what truth is. It may be out there. Maybe there is truth out there, but good luck finding it out because it's so hard and so difficult. But Jesus says he is the truth. In John chapter 8, verse 32, he has a very simple message for us. And the message is not that truth is complicated. You're never going to be able to figure it out. It's all murky and it's anybody's guess as to what truth is. No, Jesus says that truth is out there and that we can know it because it has wonderful implications on our life. John 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. You can know the truth. You can understand the truth. Jesus is the truth. I want to tell you, though, I'm worried that our society and this idea that truth is murky and we can't understand it is rubbing off on Christians today. There are a lot of Christians who are echoing the same thing that our society is saying. Though truth is very difficult to understand. There's really no way to know the truth on certain subjects. There are certain moral and doctrinal subjects that we can't take a hard stand on because it's too difficult to understand them. And so we're going to have to try and straddle the fence. We don't want to make anybody mad. No, Jesus says that the, He is the truth. We can understand the truth. And we need to demand the truth, demand that it be taught. And I want to tell you something. When we say that truth is difficult to understand, that's not an indictment on the truth. That's an indictment on our studying of the truth. Because Jesus says we can know the truth in John 8, verse 32. And therefore, if I don't know the truth, that's not an indictment on what Jesus revealed. And you're not somehow more enlightened than someone else because you may claim to be broad-minded and conclude that, well, we really can't know the truth on that matter. No, you're not more broad-minded and you're not more enlightened just because you verbalize that you haven't taken enough time to understand and know the truth. Jesus says he's the truth. And that truth, again, is singular. Many have the idea that there's a truth for you and there's a truth for me. You see it your way and I see it my way and that's okay. And those may, ways may be 180 degrees opposite of each other, but that's okay. That's your truth and I've got my truth and that's okay. No, Jesus says there's the truth. We live in a society where we're told we just need to embrace our diversity. You see it one way, I see it my way, that's okay. We can all hug and be happy and that's just fine. No, it's not fine. Jesus says there is the truth. Truth is singular. It's not relative. It's universal. Truth is truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul describes some people, I think, that could have lived in our day today and are living in our day today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth 
that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Brethren, we've got to love the truth. We've got a hunger and thirst for the truth because it is there. Jesus says we can understand it. It's singular. We need to love it and we need to demand it. Jesus is the truth. And furthermore, he says that he is the life. Jesus is the life. Jesus makes our life complete. Many today, and sadly, I'm afraid many Christians today, believe that if you follow Jesus, it turns your life into an existence that you just have to tolerate. Sure, you need to be a Christian. Sure, you need to follow Jesus, but it's just going to make your life sort of miserable. You can't do this great thing. You can't do that fun thing. You have to do this thing, and you have to do that thing, and life is just going to turn into sort of a stuffy, miserable, boring existence. If you follow Christ, you just got to suffer through it. Now, sure, when you're done with life, you get to go to heaven, and it'll all be good then. But right now, here on this earth, you're just going to have to trudge through it if you're a Christian because life is not going to be that great. Hogwash. Jesus says he is the life. He came to give us abundant life. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, The thief does not come to steal, except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If you want to have a good life, if you want to have the best life that you can have now, Jesus is the answer to that. He is the life. The life that you want now and in eternity. He gives us eternal life in heaven. But He gives us life here on earth as well. And again, this is singular. He is the life. The only way that we should live, Jesus is the life. And finally, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Christianity is exclusive. If you want all of the things that Jesus has been talking about in our lesson this morning, if you want to enjoy all the blessings that Jesus has mentioned, the only way is by submitting to Him. Quite frankly, you can't be a Jew and come to the Father. You can't be a Muslim and come to the Father. You can't be a Hindu and come to the Father. You can't be a Buddhist and come to the Father. You can't be an agnostic and come to the Father. You can't be an atheist and come to the Father. And there are folks who claim to be Christians meeting in churches this morning who have, would have trouble saying any of those things. Folks who claim to be following Christ who say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're a Christian or you're a Hindu or you're a Muslim, it doesn't matter 
There's good in every religion. No, Jesus says you have to be a Christian to come to the Father. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, notice what is said there. In fact, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there's no name, other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A familiar passage to us all, but one that we need to stop and examine to understand its meaning. The question for us this morning then is, do you enjoy the blessings that Jesus has outlined in this verse for us? Do you enjoy these blessings? If not, you can. If you're not a Christian, you need to believe what Jesus said. You need to believe that He is the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You need to believe. You need to repent. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We have to repent of our sins. We have to confess our faith in Christ in Romans chapter 10, Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who believes not will be condemned. Or maybe you're here this morning and you started on the way. You started following Christ, but you diverted a little bit. You got distracted. You decided to follow your own will. You need to come back to the Father by repenting and confessing your sins. Here this morning, and there's anything we can do to help you, will you let us know while we stand and while we sing?